morning. <clears throat> it's good to, to be here. It's good to be back. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, which is sad. That means I've been gone. Uh, but it, I am glad <clears throat> to be back and, and healthy. Um, I'll warn you, though, if I have to abruptly stop because my voice goes out on me. Sometimes if I talk extensively, I kind of just start losing it, uh, which, you know, my wife has been real upset about. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, it seems like a good time also to, to remind everybody um, and to you know pass the word along to people who might not be here that all of our lessons from Sunday morning are available online. If you look up, there's not a lot of Romine Churches of Christ, thankfully, so it's pretty much the first uh, result in Spotify or Apple Podcasts and stuff. Um, Trying to figure out the Facebook thing. I don't have one. I'm trying to figure out how to get it on there. Uh, so yeah, so if you, you know if you miss it or you want to hear stuff from the past, you're just feeling real spiritual. You can go and find that stuff on there. <clears throat> but as we continue this morning, um, we're gonna take a take a look at one of the aspects as we continue studying the service. Um, and one of the the things mentioned in sort of that that keynote anchor passage in Acts two, and that is fellowship. Um, of course, that, that message in Acts 2, and in 42 it begins, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So fellowship is one of the, one of the things mentioned right there towards the top of the list. Um, and I feel like I've got to kind of say there is something kind of sad and a little bit ironic about talking about fellowship when our, two of our weeks we are kind of at our lowest because so many people are sick and afraid of coming. But um, maybe it is fitting more than ironic, I hope, and it'll resonate a little bit more just with everything going on, but uh, fellowship. So, so what exactly is fellowship? What do we mean by fellowship? Um, I think it's a part of this list that can we kind of, we can get wrong really easily, or we can kind of misunderstand. <clears throat> so as we study uh, this morning, our goal is to look uh, specifically at the purpose and to recognize the power of fellowship, to try to understand why why fellowship is included on this list of things as an as a integral part of the worship service. Why it is they got and they worshiped together. And as, as we are talking about that, I want to start by looking at 1 John 1. <clears throat> 1 John 1 really uh, elaborates on what Christian fellowship looks like and, and how it's not just uh, some of the things we might think of when we think of fellowship in a traditional context, you know, maybe just getting together, socializing, hanging out. First uh, John one tells us how fellowship is a little bit more than that, and we'll uh, we'll read there beginning in verse three. And that is First John chapter one verse three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. <clears throat> So he starts by saying, that which we have seen and heard, we pass on to you. That much we understand, we know, is teaching or evangelism. That would be something that's very familiar to us. And he says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and our Son, Jesus Christ. So fellowship is sort of a shared understanding. That's why he says we've got to pass it along, why there's teaching. Like I said, we would recognize that as evangelism. So fellowship is at least this, this shared understanding or a shared faith, or a shared belief, and he said it is rooted in the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So right there, we see there's something, uh, sort of a special bond 
that exists in, in fellowship in a Christian context. Look down at verse 6 of the same chapter. <clears throat> if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So he says there, when he starts in verse 6, he says, here's what fellowship is not. Right? He said, fellowship is not walking in darkness and saying you're in the light. Um, and if we read the rest of 1 John, we would see that when he talks about walking in darkness versus in the light, he's really talking about sin. And so inside fellowship and that bond and that shared faith and that shared experience, there's also sort of a shared obedience. There's a shared uh, alignment with God. Like when we have fellowship with each other, we have fellowship with God. And, and part of that is obedience to God and to Christ and his words for us. So if he says in verse 6, essentially he says fellowship is not walking in darkness but saying you're in the light. A light switch is either on or off, right? There's, there's no spiritual dimmer switches. You can't be in the light and the darkness. It's, it's one or the other. And in verse 7 he says if we walk in the light then not only do we have fellowship with one another, but actually His blood cleanses us from all sin. So not only is fellowship more than just socializing, it's that shared faith, it's that shared understanding, that shared knowledge. But when we have fellowship, He says something special is happening. Something new is happening, something different is happening there. That there's, that there's power in us fellowshipping with each other and with God. Potlucks and, and social hour are good things. I would even say great things as someone who likes talking and likes eating food. But when we talk about fellowship in a, in a Christian context, we've got to understand first off that fellowship is, is deeper than that. Now, <clears throat> go back to our, our main passage. As I said, I kind of called it our, our anchor scripture in Acts 240, uh, 2.42. Actually, look at verse 46. Because he, Luke introduces fellowship in that verse we read in Acts 2.42. But in, in verse, down at verse 46 he says, So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So he mentions fellowship at the top. But down in verse 46 he kind of elaborates and, and paints a picture for us of what fellowship looks like. In vo verse 46 is a, is a short verse, but I think packed into there just a lot of really good different things. We have this, this precedent for Christians, you know, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, not just Greeks or just Romans, but Christians all gathering together in one place, in a singular place of worship for their area. But then there's also this precedent or this new idea of sort of uh, what we might call off-campus time, about Christians getting together outside the building, about doing stuff outside the building. He says even in each other's homes, having, having meals together there too. And he uses this expression, he says, breaking bread. Now, we know by now that when we see the words breaking bread in the Bible, uh, we're not just talking about going to food land and throwing slices of bread at each other like we're feeding birds, right? Or baking off one big long piece of a baguette. It's not just breaking bread, but to them, when they said breaking bread, they were talking about something kind of special. Kind of like our word communion. You know, communion, in, in a normal everyday sense, communion is just doing something together, right? Communal, community, those are all kind of the same root words. It just means to get together and to do something together. But when we say communion, 
in a church sense, in a spiritual sense, kind of capital C communion, we mean something different. So in that same way, when he said breaking bread, there, there's immediately a context that comes to mind to all of them. And that is, of course, the, the Last Supper or the, uh, the institution there. It's, it's the words of Jesus, right? When we talk about fellowship, Christian fellowship, we have to talk about communion. Communion or the Lord's Supper or breaking bread or whatever we want to call it. There is something that Jesus at the Last Supper, and it's recorded three times in Scripture. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. When they sat down and they ate and they drank together, he said, do this in remembrance of me. There are many purposes to fellowship and a lot of great joy that can come from that. But we can't talk about fellowship and not talk about communion. Because one of the first things, again, straight from the horse's mouth that he institutes is he says, do this in remembrance of me. One of the primary purposes of fellowship, of us getting together in a place of worship and of, of just being with one another, one of the primary reasons for that is the breaking of bread and the taking of the cup to remember Jesus. And a lot of times, you, you can go to different churches, and this is done a whole lot of different ways, you know, whether it's in the, and now whether it's in the tiny cup or whether we're passing the plate, breaking what looks like crackers, there's, there's something to that. It, it's not just, you know, like I said, eating what looks like a saltine and drinking the juice, but there's, there's meaning to it. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul said again in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. he said, Every time that you do this, you actually are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And it's from, from that verse that we get the institution of the Lord's Supper as part of our, our weekly services. If we looked out in the world, we would see, at least I, I, I kind of see, the, the world seems to go to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Right, we I, maybe I'm alone, but I, I know people that could not find a church building the rest of the years, but they want everybody to know on Christmas and Easter that they're in church. I don't know who they're trying to impress, but the world celebrates Jesus twice a year, probably. Christians, Christians celebrate Jesus Sunday, every Sunday, once a week. It's, it's why signs like uh, the, the, or the saying that the, Jesus is the reason for the season has always confused me a little bit, if I'm being honest. I'm sure their heart's in the right place, just trying to tell anybody who's walking by about Jesus. I get that. That's, that's probably a good thing. Uh, but Christmas is not really a religious holiday. I'm not trying to burst anybody's bubble or sound too pessimistic, but there's, there's no scripture for Jesus being born the 25th. In fact, if you really look at it, it's probably not even close to that, but that's a story for another time. But there is scripture for this. Christmas is not a religious holiday, but you know what it is? Sunday. Every Sunday. The first day of every week is a religious holiday. That's, that is the day that we have a scriptural precedent and a scriptural command to celebrate. From the scriptures on the Last Supper, and like I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke... And then from 1 Corinthians, we know that on once a week, they got together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. That simple act of getting together and of breaking bread and remembering what he did. One of the main purposes of fellowship is to celebrate communion. And I know when we do something every week and we're, 
used to doing it the same time and we're used to doing it the same way and you get in kind of that same environment, it can feel very routine. But I'm, I think it can become one of those things that we just do to say that we kind of had church. You know, if you told somebody to list the three things that you got to do for it to be called church, that communion would certainly be there. But I would beg you to not let it just be that. So much of what we do together and so much of what we kind of call, what makes up what we call doing church really relies on your, on your heart and your mind kind of being in the right place. It's that old saying that you get out of it what you put into it. If we show up, kind of doze off during the prayer because everybody's eyes is closed and sort of hum and groan our way through worship and are thinking about lunch plans and supper plans already through the sermon, you're not getting anything. Everything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks and dissect and break down all the different parts of the church service, it's not, if that's you, it's not going to mean anything to you. And I, I don't mean to say that in a, in a rude or exclusionary way, but if your heart and mind are not in the right place, this isn't, this isn't doing anything for you. In 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul puts it this way. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing also with the understanding. It says I can be there, or my, my spirit can actually be engaged in what's happening. And all of this is kind of leading to what we're really getting at here, is that there is, there is purpose to fellowship that Jesus instituted at the, at the Last Supper, but there's also power in fellowship. First John gives us that definitioning and that meaning, kind of fleshes it out a little bit. Jesus at the Last Supper talked about the purpose of it. But there is power in us all being together here. There's something innately more powerful of all of us choosing to worship as one body. Technically, right? Technically, everything we do here, we could do on our own at home. Or even in our own little families at home. You could pray, you could sing, you could find bread and, and wine, right? But there's a reason we don't do that. Or, the, or I'll tell you this, there's a reason the command is not to do that. There is something special and powerful about Christians getting together with other Christians in fellowship. I think today we live in a world of ever-increasing isolation. And I think this was true long before there was a global pandemic. But if you look at... I actually saw this in an article that was written in 1995 that talked about how communities of all kinds, community groups, whether that's everything from PTAs to softball leagues to bowling to, yes, church, uh, all reported declining attendance. And again, that was, I think, uh, the mid-90s. It has only gotten worse since then. We are really a culture that does not value community. You add to that, of course, uh, a pandemic where keeping your distance from people is actually the healthy thing to do. For so many, it's kind of a sad state that we're in. Where technology allows us to be so close, yet we are more isolated than ever. And that's where uh, really the scripture that I read for us this morning uh, kind of comes in from Ecclesiastes. So if, turn again to Ecclesiastes, and I want to read just this, the second half of what we read this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Um, Ecclesiastes is one of those kind of smaller books in the Old Testament and he kind of left out. It's 
uh, just for some context. It's probably written by Solomon, influenced by prophets of his time. It's just a book of wisdom. Kind of, you can read it much like Proverbs. But look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and look at verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will easily withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This image here in Ecclesiastes of the, of the threefold cord is actually referenced a lot in marriage ceremonies. I think that's where I see it the most often read. That, you know, when a couple is with God and the three of them, boy, they're stronger than if the couple is just by themselves. And while I agree with the conclusion, yes, a couple with God is stronger than a couple without God, I'm not really sure you get that from this verse. Because what he's really talking about is if you have two people, and not even really in a romantic or relational sense, because he kind of uses the word man over and over, actually, but if you have two people who are working and toiling, and they are working together, they are stronger than two individuals toiling alone. And he kind of ends by saying, and if two are stronger than one, imagine how much stronger three are than two. It's the same concept that Paul actually reiterates in just about every letter he writes. At the beginning of Romans, he says how he longs to see them so that he can be mutually encouraged by their faith. In Romans 1.12, by, by their faith by his and his faith by theirs, that they can be mutually encouraged. In Galatians 6.2, he actually instructs the church and says to bear one another's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ. In Ephesians, he talks over and over throughout Ephesians about being the members of one body and how, how each of us as members have our own function and our own specific function, but how that should serve the one body. Jesus, at the beginning of Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. He sends out 72 people to, of his own followers to go into the different towns and cities he's going to be going to to kind of tell them that he is coming. And when he does this, he sends them out two by two. He doesn't send them out alone. If we wanted to, when we talk about evangelism or, or church work or ministry or even church leadership, if we wanted to, we can make an argument for all sorts of numbers as being important. Twelve. Jesus had twelve disciples. Israel had twelve tribes. You can make the argument for three, kind of the threefold cord that I was saying, and the Trinity, and the other times three comes up in Scripture. You can even make the argument for two. Because this passage right here, or even Matthew 28.10, where one or two or more are gathered. You can make an argument for all sorts of these other numbers, but do you know what there's no argument for? For one. Unless that one person was Jesus, you don't really see one person leading a ministry or doing any of these things we would call worship or part of the church service. Because there's strength in numbers. There is power in fellowship. Even in an isolated society, there is power in coming together with other Christians. Uh, a teacher over at a, the Church of Christ in West Palm Beach actually wrote a, a longer article about this. But he said, the death of the local church will be our strong individualism and our shallow fellowship. I think shallow fellowship is an unfortunate but great way to describe a lot of what we have today. 
And just to clarify, I don't mean we, those of us sitting in this building, but I mean Christianity, the church, and communities in general, the Christian community, all of us, I think shallow fellowship fits. Maybe this is just me, but I know when, I, when I'm seeing pictures or I see posts or updates from people via social media, it gives me this feeling like I'm kind of keeping up with them. Or the impression, it almost gives me the, the impression of having had a conversation. So I see it, and I'm like, oh, that's neat what they're doing. But the reality is, unless I'm talking to them, they don't know what I'm seeing. They don't know that I'm thinking of them. They don't know that I'm looking at or not looking at. Especially, like I said, if you don't reach out to communicate or follow up. And I know, at least for me, um, following up is such a huge part of ministry. And this is kind of a side note, but following up is such a huge part of ministry. And truthfully, it's one I know I struggle with. If you were, need help... Or if you need something and you're right in front of me, you've got 100% of my attention. I'm all there, ready to help you. But the moment I'm looking at something else, I'm, I don't know if it's just ADD or I've got the memory of a goldfish, but if I'm, if I'm looking at something else, I've kind of just moved on already. And it's just, I think it's the world we live in with just constant stuff going on. But really, follow-up is the cure to shallow fellowship. Follow-up is that time later on to say, hey, how are you doing with that thing? How's, how's that problem with so-and-so going? How are you feeling? How are you doing? That's going to help us get past just the shallow fellowship. The purpose of fellowship is our communion with Jesus, but there is power in fellowship with one another. In that verse from Galatians that I referenced earlier, Galatians 6.2, the Bible says, Bear one another's burdens as fulfills the law of Christ. Later on in that chapter, Paul elaborates on that, saying that, that helping each other up, acknowledging our sins, and helping other people when they're struggling or they're dealing with temptation, that doing that is the, is the most Christ-like thing we can do. And I think that entire concept of acknowledging our mistakes and asking for help, I think that can be something else we kind of get wrong a little bit. We have such a negative connotation of asking for prayers of the church. When in reality, Paul says, doing that or being someone who can help somebody when they need it, that, that is the most Christ-like thing we can do. He said that fulfills the law of Christ. But we have such a negative connotation with that, and it, it's sad because truthfully what that means is that nobody wants to do it, even when they need it. I, I kind of thought about this, and I, I think I might be able to get rid of this here. But if I worked for not a large church, but even a small to mid-sized church, and I showed up one Sunday and I just said, I'm asking for the prayers of the church for my family, and if I said this, for my family and for my marriage, how many people would leave that building wanting a new preacher next Sunday? It's the truth. It's, it's the way we view that sort of thing. Whatever reason, we've turned asking for prayer, which Paul puts up on such a pedestal, we've turned asking for prayer into admitting colossal failure. That's not really the same. I mean, if we're in Romans and we admit that everyone's sin is all has fallen short, well then, really, and I've heard other people say this in many different ways, but really, everyone could kind of respond to the invitation in their own way, and that asking for prayers of the church is not some admission of colossal failure in your personal life. And I know we all ask for help in different ways, and that's a, 
as I was dissecting that as a story for another time, but I think it's important to recognize that what Paul says in Galatians 6 2 is that doing that is fulfilling the law of Christ. And so the best thing we can do is help one another when we're struggling. I know this morning we've gone outside the scope of just fellowship, but I want us to know that there, there's a deeper meaning when we talk about fellowship in a Christian context, that there's a purpose in breaking bread and communing and remembering Christ, and that there's power in, in just being here. There is. But that just being here is not enough. Talking about the heart and the mind, the spirit and the understanding. But there's power in our shared faith, that our ability to encourage and lift each other up. So as we begin to close and we offer that invitation, I, I want you to know that if, if there is any need, and I mean that literally, no matter how big or how small, whether it is completely life-changing or just this minute request, if you have any need, I, I personally, spiritually want to know about it. And I'm not just saying that because it's my job, but because we care, because that's what we're supposed to do. So if you have any need, now is the time. We ask that you make that known while we stand.